Welcome to the Kid Men Podcast with Dr. Val and Dr. Virginia, where we talk about everything Kid Men. And pull back the curtain on some of the surprises and challenges in children's ministry that nobody prepares you for. I'm Dr. Val, and together we have over 45 years of experience in children's ministry. I'm Dr. Virginia. Valerie and I met over 10 years ago in our doctoral program at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We are excited to share with you all the great stuff that we have picked up over the years. We want to minister to you, the children's minister. Welcome to the Kidman Doctor podcast. I am Dr. Virginia. Um, as you notice, if you're a regular listener or watcher, Valerie is not here with us today. Unfortunately, she is a little under the weather, but I am super excited to be interviewing Dr. Robert Crosby, his wife, Lori Crosby, about trauma-informed children's ministry. So we are so excited to have them on today and get to learn from you guys. So welcome. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So it's happy a- to be here. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell us a little about yourselves, about who you are, kind of how you got into all of this? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. So um, I've always been passionate about children's and youth ministry for for most of my life. And it was actually um, my dream at one point to go into the ministry full time. But then God sort of changed the narrative. And instead of becoming a pastor, I became a research and statistics professor. So... uh, (laughs) That was, was a, a little bit of a, of a left turn, yeah. A little, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit of a left turn. Uh, but then God kind of brought those things together. And so I started doing research about children's ministry, kind of combining those two passions. And um, specifically, the way uh, researching ways that the church can support kids who have experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. So one of the more recent, well, I guess a little bit ago, but one of the, the most Im- impactful research studies that I did was visiting different churches and interviewing pastors, interviewing parents and families, volunteers, focus grouping kids, uh, observing services, and really trying to get a deep understanding of best practices mm-hmm. for reaching kids from hard places. That's awesome. And Lori, am I correct in my understanding? You are a, a professional counselor, is that right? Yeah. So my title is long. It's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm a registered play therapist supervisor. Oh. So it's a little excessive. Um, but <laughs> my specialty <laughs> is I I specialize in treating children who've experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been doing that for almost about 15 years now, I would say. Um, And like, just to piggyback off what Robert was saying, um, he would, so he did this study in 2019. And so he flew around to different churches. um, And then he'd come back and tell me these like stories about Mm -hmm. how these churches served hurting kids and families well. And then we would debrief these stories and we would honestly both be crying. It just really touched our hearts. I had um, just personally, my clients, um, I, you know, again, I work with kids who've experienced trauma. So I had clients getting kicked out of the children's mm-hmm. ministry, out of churches, yeah. not allowed to attend VBS or getting kicked out of VBS. And that just, that broke my heart because that's not the father heart of God. And so he was telling me these stories and I just felt this like, this impression um, from the Lord, just, I think we need to write a book, like these stories, because he was publishing Mm -hmm. all the research in academic journals that honestly, um, I would not even read. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Five people read those in their research. I'm not like, I don't love research. Like it's so good and so important, but I'm not like, let's read a peer reviewed journal 
Yay. <laughs> no. And so I was like, we really need to like team up and write a book that mm-hmm. actually like pastors and children's ministry volunteers could read and feel equipped because I know that wasn't their heart. Like they, right. they just weren't equipped and we don't know what to do with these trauma related behaviors. Mm-hmm. So the best thing was we got to call parents and like get them out. Mm-hmm. But then that is perceived as the church is rejecting me and ultimately right. God. Cool. So we really, yeah, we really felt like we needed to do that. So that's kind of where we're at now. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So there may be some people listening to this and thinking though about like trauma and, and trauma informed ministry and thinking, well, you know, I, I'm at a small church. Everybody knows everyone. We know all these families like that doesn't apply to, to our church. Um, but can you speak to why it is important for anyone working in ministry or with children or youth, why they need to have an understanding of trauma-informed ministry? So I think people underestimate the prevalence of trauma. And statistically mm-hmm. speaking, two out of three kids at some point mm-hmm. in their childhood are going to experience a traumatic event. So if yeah. you've got three kids in your ministry, you know, you're a tiny church, chances are at some point in that journey, they're going to encounter something that's potentially traumatic. Um, And we have to keep in mind, too, that we're on the back end of COVID, which was a collective Mm -hmm. trauma for pretty much the entire world. Mm -hmm. So that trauma touched every child in the ministry in in, in some way, shape or form. And so we have to be responsive to that. And then I think the other other thing, too, is that we... If, if you're really in a situation where there's no one in your ministry who is hurting or is going through a hard time, we kind of have to ask ourselves, well, well, why, right? Aren't we ministers of reconciliation and healing? It would yeah. be in a way like a, a doctor saying, well, why do I need to learn medicine? None of my patients are sick. So it makes <laughs> us think, well, maybe, maybe there's a problem there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the time too, like, um, for me, I mean, at my church, I have done provided therapeutic services to a large amount of the families that attend and, you know, therapy is confidential. Um, and a lot of the pastors have no idea the mm-hmm. depth of the pain that is actually happening in the church. Yeah. Um, so yeah. they might think, oh, there's no trauma here, but they don't actually know the whole story. Mm-hmm. Most of it's hidden mm-hmm. and yeah. we'll never know those stories. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and let me ask this too, just for our, our own clarity. So what, what is trauma? Cause I think we tend to think it's, mm-hmm. oh, just your house burning down or a tornado coming through town. I mean, what, what is trauma? So trauma is going to be anything that causes long-term harm to a child's social well-being, emotional, mental, physical, uh, or spiritual well-being. Mm-hmm. And it has a lasting impact. So something that's a perceived threat or danger. So it could be an event. It could be a situation that's ongoing. It feels like a threat. Their body interprets Mm -hmm. it as a threat. And they don't have the resiliency to deal with it. And Mm -hmm. so now it's leaving a negative impact that can last an entire lifetime. So it doesn't have to just be something really dramatic like an earthquake or mm-hmm. your, your house burning down. Um, it could be a parent going, th- uh, you know, parents going through a divorce. It could be mm-hmm. someone in the house with mental illness. Maybe mm-hmm. a family member is incarcerated. Of course, the abuse and neglect that we might think of from time to time. Yes. 
Um, but there's a lot of pieces that we wouldn't necessarily recognize as traumatic that could be received that way by a child and they wouldn't have the words to communicate how it's affecting them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, And I like you mentioning COVID as well, because I heard this, it was on another podcast, it was pointed out, this was pointed out in the context of of young adults, but even, especially when you think about it as children, you know, if a child is eight years old and they went, lived through two years of lockdown, that's a quarter of their life. And I think we don't, as adults, we don't appreciate that in the same way and don't understand the effect that that has at such a young age on a child. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, statistically speaking, um, there's been recent research that looked at um, uh, various studies from across the world, and they found that collectively, childhood anxiety and depression, clinical levels of that doubled during COVID. Oh, so wow. from 2019 to a couple years in, yeah. to the point that I believe it's uh, one out of eight kids have clinical levels of depression, one out of five mm-hmm. have clinical lo- levels of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So it had a massive impact, and lockdowns are a big part of that because it impeded their social development. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. So can you also give us some examples of like trauma informed strategies that we can use in ministry and and how it can be beneficial, not only for kids with trauma, but can we use this with any kid? And if so, how? Yeah, absolutely. So relationship, I mean, the it's been said relationship is the trauma informed strategy. Like, mm. That's number one, is having, establishing a genuine, authentic relationship with a hurting child Mm. or just all of the children, preferably in your ministry. (laughs) So there's different ways we could do that. There's lots and lots of strategies. Some that come to mind would be play. Mm -hmm. So taking intentional time to play with a child, whether it's with a group of children, if there's a child who's struggling in particular, sitting down with that child Mm one-on-one and playing some activity that they engage with is a great way to build relationship. Um, We talk about check-in routines in a small group or discussion group or prayer time format where you give two or three minutes to every single kid in the ministry every single week so they can share what's going on, share how they feel about that and receive prayer. Um, And then discipline would be based around um, relationship as well as a priority. So there's a strategy called uh, connect before you correct. Mm -hmm. And so if you see a problem behavior, um, instead of just jumping into you're doing this wrong, I'm going to focus on that and and react to that. um, It's taking that as an opportunity. So I had a was leading a small group and there was a boy who was really distracted. He was misbehaving a little bit, distracting the other kids. And so afterwards I just said, Hey, um, you seem distracted during small group. Mm-hmm. Is everything okay? And then he starts to tell me about the way he's being bullied at school and there's mm-hmm. just really horrific ways. I mean, just mm-hmm. shocking, shocking ways. And, you know, he's afraid he's thinking about what's going to happen to him at school tomorrow and he's distracted and he's anxious and he's afraid he starts crying. Um, And this is his reality. And so now Mm -hmm. this misbehavior became a chance to speak into this child's life and encourage and care for him. So that would be an example of how um, you would prioritize relationship. So for a child from trauma, that helps them heal. They have an internal, their their brain is wired to believe that I'm no good, I'm unlovable, and the world's not safe. And so it starts to rewrite that narrative for them when we create that space and we respond that way. And for kids who aren't from trauma, um, it's still helpful to them. Um, you, you have a strong church relationship that creates positive peer pressure um, and it builds up their self-esteem. I'm worthy. And it also creates a safety net. So when they are going through a hard time, they know that there's someone there for them. 
And we have to remember that is, is the hands and feet of Christ. We're representatives of God. So oftentimes the way children experience the church is the way they experience God. A, right. a little boy said, he said, if you're accepted into church, then you're accepted to God. Yeah. And that was his framework for his experience. So to keep that in mind right. as we do, as we work with kids, whether or not they come from a traumatic situation. Yeah. Right. That's heavy. And that's a great way to, to frame and remember our responsibility, just like you said, as the hands and feet of Jesus to, um, to remember that we are truly Christ's ambassadors to kids yes. um, mm -hmm. in a very um, deep and heavy way that we don't always think about. So mm -hmm. as we're trying to pass out the snacks and make sure everyone's checked in correctly and, you know, go through the schedule and, and, yeah. and all the things um, that ultimately we are the hands and feet and we are here to build relationships with kids. Absolutely. It's like sometimes the lesson has to be put on the back burner. Mm -hmm. Yes so that you can just step away and go sit beside a child who maybe is removed or, you know, just have a team that's equipped to do what needs to be done to be with maybe one or multiple kids who you can tell are hurting. Yeah. We talk about the idea of the implicit gospel. Yeah. And it's the idea that they may learn more about God and more about the gospel from how we treat them yeah. than from a lesson. Exactly. So a kid rolls in and they're a distracted mess and they want a snack early and you find out that they didn't have breakfast. Right. So, well, let's give them a snack. And the next kid says, well, I didn't get a snack. And I said, why did he get one? Well, because he didn't get breakfast. Well, I didn't get breakfast either. I'm hungry too. And so you have to think, well, is this now a giant distraction to me teaching about God's love or is it an opportunity to say, well, let's feed the children. They're hungry. Yeah. And so by, by doing that, what are they learning about God? What are they learning about the church? Exactly. Where it says, you know what? You need to stop worrying about your physical needs because we need to focus on teaching your Bible verses. Exactly. Right. And one of the things that we like to say is we teach children, not lessons. And so, mm. you know, they, they are the focus. And so sometimes just like what you're saying, God gives us teachable moments that are where, well outside the curriculum, but they are an opportunity to communicate God's love and to communicate biblical truths through whatever's happening right there in that moment in the classroom. And so taking those teachable moments can be so valuable. So absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Amen. So what's some of the feedback that you've gotten from churches who have tried this approach? How has it changed or impacted their ministry? It works. Mm -hmm. It works. The, the approaches that we've used for a long time, if you are a teacher and you've gone through a teacher credential program, most behavioral management strategies are based on behaviorism, which is manipulating and controlling behavior through ward and punishment. When you have a child coming in who's experienced trauma, oftentimes it doesn't work. In fact, it backfires. This works. It works with kids coming from a challenging past. It works for kids who aren't coming from a traumatic past. So we'll, um, one story that stood out to me, because I, I, I always follow up with the churches that we work with, especially in the research studies, and uh, children's past. So we'll just, it's been a couple of months. Tell me, tell me what happened. She said, we had a new family come in a few weeks ago. We just started to implement these strategies. Mm -hmm. One of them was, a, they created a quiet room or a quiet space. We have a little room of the space of the room we blocked out. It's just for kids who are feeling overwhelmed. They can go there and calm down and come back. Nothing fancy. So a new kid comes in and he's having a lot of issues. They send him over to the quiet space and just comfort him. He comes down, comes back. Don't think much of it. So some time goes by and mom pulls aside the children's pastor and says, you know, tells her in confidence, look, I've been to so many churches and I always felt like none of those churches wanted my kid there. 
Mm. And this is the first time I felt like someone wanted my kid. And I can't believe you have never called me out of the service. Like not mm. once have you called me out. Mm. And it, it didn't, they didn't realize what an impact that was. Mm -hmm. um, there was another example I followed up and he said, so I talked about the check-in idea. So they tried something, a version of that. A lot of people will take an idea and they say, well, how would I apply that here? So they applied it there and they weren't a big ministry. They had maybe 12 kids and they found out the first Sunday they did this, that of those 12 kids, three of the families were either going through a separation or divorce. Mm -hmm. They knew about one of them. The other two, these are families they knew pretty well. They were active right, in the church. They had right, no idea. Right. And this opened the door for the senior pastor, other people who had relationship to step in and minister mm -hmm. to those families and care for them in that, in that situation that they would have had no idea about mm -hmm. that they were hurting if they hadn't mm -hmm. taken one of these strategies and put it into practice. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of my, one of my two, like, um, a uh, favorite story when we were starting to do this, because because these workshops we created, again, they're based on the research. Um, we did a whole research study, so they're evidence-based. And so when Robert and I were were doing this in Southern California, it was like Saturday, Saturday mornings. Mm -hmm. And so not all the volunteers would show up because it's right. fall and <laughs> parents have to go to soccer. And mm -hmm. so they would be, it would be sometimes smaller. Um, mm -hmm. The pastors would be a little disappointed, but the, some of the people that came in, there was this one gentleman who was like, it is a Saturday morning. I do not want to be here, but I am here. And you were like kind of cranky and resistant. I think he said uh, that uh, he said, well, I woke up early and I, oh, no, what was I, I didn't set my alarm. I thought, well, if I wake up, I'll go. That's if I true. don't wake yes. up, I won't yes. go. But he woke up. So he said, well, I woke <laughs> I up. Can. So I guess I can't. Yeah. And then when we left, so we were like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we get it. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, but then at the end he was like, everybody, everybody who works in children's ministry needs to do this. This should be required. Mm -hmm. And it was just such like, I don't, we felt so honored. We were mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah. this guy yeah. was like an older gentleman. <laughs> He's been doing children's ministry for so long. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was like, okay, this is so encouraging. Mm -hmm. This is so encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good. And that kind of um, leads right into sort of my next question is because there there could be key leaders, minister, you know, children's directors who see the value in this, um, but do have to do exactly what you're talking about, yeah. communicate it to their volunteers yeah. who may not initially see the value in coming in on a Saturday morning to get mm -hmm. this training or, or, you mm -hmm. know, however it's delivered, you know, how... How can ministry leaders, what are some of the things that they can say to their volunteers to help encourage them to see the value in this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, education is key. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of education. I think people come in with some ignorance. And whether mm -hmm. it's ignorance because I've been doing this forever, I, I know what I'm doing, mm -hmm. or whether it's... Um, uh, our church does, we don't have any kids here who have a traumatic background. No one here is struggling. So I think sometimes, sometimes statistics can be helpful. Like people are really unaware and knowing that statistically speaking, most of the kids in their group at some point are going to have a struggle like that. Um, and then I, I found that story is really, uh, really, really powerful. So, um, when people start to hear examples of mm -hmm. kids' stories, how they were impacted negatively and positively, it starts to change the thinking. I think you had a story with one of your clients, didn't you? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I have so many stories with my clients in the church, um, but one that was 
that really impacted me deeply as we were kind of going through this process is just like the importance of, again, equipping not only the pastors, but the volunteers, because mm-hmm. like children's ministry is not babysitting so that God can talk to adults, like, mm-hmm. and teach the grown-ups. Like, Amen. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is we are we are showing and teaching the gospel um, yeah. to these kids. And so, actually, one of this was in the youth group, but one of my one of my teens, um, she had experienced um, a sexual assault mm-hmm. from a volunteer in the church, <sighs> um, and she obviously that created a giant barrier to the church and God. She had, um, when you experience a horrific trauma, you have, Mm. you have these trauma related behaviors. And so she had a very significant change in her personality, um, and started doing things that she had not done before, um, because of what she had experienced. And so instead of like the volunteers, um, really recognizing and understanding this, something serious happened. Like we don't just change our personality. We just, right. Um, they weren't equipped. They didn't recognize it as a sign and symptom of trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, this was like years. So she knew they were gossip, like the volunteers were gossiping about her, like, Mm -hmm. and she still bless her heart. Like she still went to youth group some of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, she really desperately wanted a relationship with Jesus, like, but she was hurt in a really awful way. And then the volunteers, like they had no idea again, they were not Mm -hmm. equipped. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we just felt so passionate about like, how can we like get this out there? How can we equip these pastors and the volunteers who are working with our kids, with our teens who can like, possibly see, okay, there was something significant that happened. I'm going to press in. I'm going to go deeper in our relationship because it took until her senior year. And then her, um, I think it might've been a new pastor that had joined and really pressed in to -hmm. build relationship with her during her youth camp, like her final youth camp. Mm. Um, And that's when she shared what had happened. Mm. Um, And so she was able to get help, um, got the police involved, thankfully, CPS, um, and it's a whole thing, um, but she's able to work towards the healing. And thankfully, you know, that brings down the barriers and she is searching. She is still, she's in college now, you know, but trying to find, going yeah. to church, finding good Christian relationships um, and walking the really difficult healing journey. But, yeah. I mean, that's why... We just feel so passionate about this. Absolutely. That's so heavy. And I'll, I'll add in for our listeners, we have another great interview um, with Dr. Faye Scott, who's um, an expert in children's ministry, safety and security. And so we have a whole episode on um, child protection policies. She shares, she actually walked through um, her church, walked through a similar instance um, with the youth pastor. um, And so he was caught, convicted. um, And so she kind of shares just um, things that we look for, um, you know, that point to signs of child abuse um, and then walking through that process, you know, with a family. And so it is, yeah, and it is, and it's just such a heavy and unfortunate reality of the world that we live in and why we've got to be on guard at all times um, in all of our ministries. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
And so, so you mentioned um, your book. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? And I know, and I understand you guys have a volunteer training course as well. Is that mm -hmm. correct? And so, kind of tell us a little bit about each of those, how they're different, where you use what, that kind of thing, about these resources that you guys have created. Well, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the book is called Trauma Informed Children's Ministry. There it is, a practical <laughs> guide to reaching hurting kids. So this is based on the research. It is full of stories. So mm -hmm. unlike in the academic articles where we, we can't tell the stories, yeah. here we get to hear kids' voices and get to mm -hmm. understand their experiences mm -hmm. through their own point of view. Um, it's all research-based. There's a lot of the neuroscience and psychology and sociology in it, but very, very easy to read. We wrote it at a seventh grade reading level just because we want someone to be able to focus on the content and not be distracted by right. abstract words and complicated sentences. So it's an easy read. You can knock it out in a weekend. Um, so this is intended to help leaders. So we've had a lot of volunteers who are really invested who also mm -hmm. get the book and read it and get a lot out of it. Yeah. So it wouldn't dissuade anyone from reading it. We've had parents who don't even work in children's ministry read it and find it really helpful. Um, but it's really mar um, it's really uh, targeted to the leaders who would have the ability to make some of those, mm -hmm. maybe some structural changes. And then mm -hmm. from there, we have the workshop. And the workshop is a tool that they can use to teach their team. So to develop a common vision, a common vocabulary, and a common set of strategies. Yeah. So we call it the Reach Hurting Kids Workshop. So our organization is Reach Hurting Kids Institute. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of the the, the public-facing front of the research group yeah. uh, that's intended to interact with the children's ministry community and build a recognizable brand and build relationships. Yeah. So the Reach Hurting Kids Workshop, uh, right now we have four modules. Each one is 75 minutes. And the intention is that once a quarter, you would keep your team after church for a development and provide lunch, something yummy, and then ask them to hang out for another hour or so, hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And then you work through the workshop and that way they can develop that skill set. And then they will, will actually see changes in the ministry. So measurable, observable transformation as a result of that investment. Yeah, It's, it's designed to be self-guided. So we, we speak at conferences now. We used to train in churches and do exactly mm -hmm. this, but there were so many churches who wanted to be equipped in this way. Mm -hmm. And there's only a few people who are offering face-to-face, in-person resources. So the idea was, well, how can we make this accessible to thousands of churches in a way that's cost-effective and efficient that doesn't require you know people to go around to thousands of churches and speak to them? Okay. So we adapted our curriculum to be self-guided. It's mm -hmm. manualized and you just follow along. It's written the way that a children's ministry curriculum would be written or VBS curriculum. Mm -hmm. So even if you know nothing about trauma, you just read a script and yeah. follow along all the contents embedded in the streaming PowerPoint file. So there's instructional videos that are mm -hmm. animated with lots of stories. It's not a 75 mm -hmm. minute lecture. There's no lecture. We don't believe in lecture. <laughs> Amen. No lecture Amen. And <laughs> we, we try to, we try to teach the way we, we try to teach the model using the model. So we create, these uh, videos and then you've got activities that's very activity based very interactive and they just facilitate and guide their team through it mm -hmm. and then and, you know they have time to process that and implement it maybe another two or three months later they'll do the next one and we'll this is where we're hearing the testimonies yes. where people follow up with mm -hmm. this we systematically collect the data as part of a research study but we still mm -hmm. like to communicate with people and hear yes. from them so that's the gist of it and the this is where we're seeing the fruits of we don't have to send the kids back to their parents anymore, even volunteers mm -hmm. not having to call the children's pastor. Like I can handle it now. Mm -hmm. I know what to do. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah. positive thing. It's not a negative thing. Yeah, absolutely.
Yeah. That is and awesome. We have, and this was created too, mm. not just by Robert and I, but mm. we have a team at Reach Hurting Kids Institute. Mm. So we yeah, do. Dr. Aaron Smith. Yeah, Dr. Aaron Smith. She's, um, so we both teach at California Baptist University. We're both professors mm -hmm. in psychology and she's a, a brilliant scientist and her, her passion is children's religious cognition. So she's a <laughs> cognitive developmental psychologist who focuses in the area of religion. So we love that stuff. It's right, <laughs> right up our alley. <laughs> she is absolutely brilliant. So you're going to want to talk to her for sure. <laughs> none, none of this would have happened with, without her. No. And then we added to our team a few years ago, uh, pastor Kayla Smith. So she was actually one of the pastors in the study. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I can't tell you which one, but if you read the book, She's in there, but for confidentiality <laughs> reasons, I can't tell you which one, right, but right. she's extraordinarily gifted and is really passionate about the intersection of research and ministry. Mm -hmm. um, and so she joined the team. So she helps speak the language of ch children's pastors. We're not mm -hmm. practicing. I have some background in ministry, but that's not what we're doing now yeah. ourselves. Mm -hmm. So she speaks that language. She brings her insight, her mm -hmm. storytelling. She's an amazing speaker, amazing preacher. So that's kind of our, we have some other folks we work with. That's kind of our core team. So we have a lot that we're bringing into it to make sure it's something that's interdisciplinary and really special. Yeah. It's awesome that's how the Lord like orchestrated all of us and all of this. Like yeah. Robert and I frequently mm -hmm. look at each other like, <laughs> what is happening right <laughs> now? What is happening right now? <laughs> is this our life? Like, right. <laughs> we have a podcast this afternoon because right? that's what we do now. Because I guess this is what happens. I don't know. Uh, right, right. Look back and look back over the years and be like, wow, yeah. All the ways Absolutely. that the Lord pulls all sorts of threads together and ties them together. That's yeah, wonderful. A, over 10 years of research behind it. So I have the email from like 12 years ago or something where I emailed Dr. Aaron Smith and, hey, I'm working mm -hmm. on this paper. Do you want to help me with, you know, write up the discussion section or something? It'll just be a short couple of week project. Um, <laughs> 12 years later, that, you know, like 10 years later, <laughs> yeah. laughing. Uh, so there's, yeah. there's a, it's a long journey, but everything is built towards what we're doing. God's put all the pieces together. And, you know, our, our heart, our, our mission is empowering the church to reach hurting kids. Mm, um, kind of my personal vision would be that there'd be a point where a trauma training, some kind of trauma awareness would be mm -hmm. as common and as expected in the church as abuse prevention. Mm -hmm. Kind of see it as the other side of that coin yes, or picking right, up where that right. narrative leaves off. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's really what we're working towards. We know it works. We see the data. Mm -hmm. We hear the testimonies all the time. So we're just trying to get the message out there, get the resources out so churches can use this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, it's an awesome work what you guys are doing. And I, mm -hmm. I appreciate um, the research-based nature behind it. Um, mm -hmm. I always love learning from other people and their mm -hmm. sort of circumstances and what they've learned anecdotally. But I also mm -hmm. love that you're able to say like, hey, this is, we have de demonstrable evidence that, that this mm -hmm. is making a difference in churches. Um, and that, you know, here are different ways that people are applying it, different ways that it's yeah. being used. And so, so I love um, that research base and I love having all those different perspectives that go into it that I think make it a very rich resource and a very valuable resource for, for our churches and for our ministry leaders. So, yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course, you're welcome. <laughs> and so tell me this too, in, in all your research, Hmm. What has been your your biggest surprise or your most memorable takeaway? What's hmm. been the moment where you're just sort of like, kind of cock your head and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, but 
one that stands out to me because I think it is unexpected and counterintuitive in some ways is the the power and importance of intimate, authentic children's worship experiences. Yeah. So I'm yeah. talking about contemplative experiences that, mm-hmm. so there's a communal and both an individual liturgy where kids have space to draw close to God on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, something like a, we call it prayer time at our church where you create a circle in the room and they can go in and a candle symbolizes God's presence and they can quietly speak to him or they can pray with mm-hmm. someone else. They're engaging in singing, worship through singing or through prayer stations. These kind of experiences, mm-hmm. the Children who come from a tough background just crave this. Mm. For, for a lot of them, their spirituality has never even been acknowledged. Mm. They come into a setting and their behaviors that are protecting them make mm. it seem like they wouldn't be interested in something like this. Well, this is a tough kid. This is the bad kid. This is the rowdy, crazy kid. He's not going to want to sit and pray quietly by the candle. And the reality is the kids who are the loudest and the most rambunctious are often the ones who need a still quiet space the most. So I've seen, we'll set up the God time and it's the ADHD kid who's bouncing all over the room half the time. He's the first one there on the floor, kneeling, talking to Jesus in that quiet. Shoes off. Yeah. It's a reverent space. You take Mm -hmm. off your shoes into this holy space, symbolizing God's physical presence. And they're the first ones to jump into that. So there was another study that a colleague of mine, Dr. Leanne Blanchett, he is a department chair and program leader at Olivet Nazarene University, as well as a children's pastor. And in his dissertation, he compared different types of children's ministry models in different outcomes. So you've got uh, what was referred to as a contemplative reflective model. And that's exactly what I described, where they're creating space for these authentic, intimate worship experiences in both communal and individual. And then another model, which was referred to as a pragmatic participatory or active engagement model, which it's an oversimplification, but a lot of it is production and fun and games. So having good production value, a lot of excitement, and we're, we're going to have a lot of fun. And we are not, a, a, we are very pro play and very pro fun. Yes. But absolutely. One of the things he looked at was uh, the number of visitors that kids invited to church. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you looked at the comparison. And what was fascinating is that the kids in the ministries that focus more on creative, uh, creating authentic worship experiences, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they were the ones who were more likely to invite their friends to church. Mm-hmm. So it really spoke into what they were craving, what they were looking for. Again, we're very pro fun. I think <laughs> if you read the book, there, there's a lot of reason to include play and fun very strategically right. in the ministry, but not to the detriment of these experiences. I, I think mm-hmm. as children's ministry uh, folks, we, we often bury the lead. You know, they come in and we're like, hey, we're going to have a lot of fun with you. We're going to do this and that. And then I'm going to try to sneak some spirituality in there, like, you know, hiding cauliflower in your toddler's mashed potato. (laughs) Yeah. And and really, we have Jesus. We have a holy God. We can we can minister to this 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 starvation for God's presence. And we just assume that, well, they're not going to be interested in that. And, and really they are. And not only is there's a spiritual piece, not only is there their healing piece for kids who are coming from a traumatic situation, mm-hmm. it's bonding. Mm-hmm. So another study we did, we were looking at different predictors of a supportive church environment. So what is it that helps kids feel loved and valued and part mm-hmm. of a community? Mm-hmm. And we looked at all sorts of different things and um, play, was, unstructured play was one that stood out. And another one that stood out probably the most reliably 
was these types of prayer and worship experiences. Mm -hmm. And as we mm -hmm. dug in and talked to those churches, what we'd find would be things like, okay, we're going to have these different prayer stations. If you want to pray with a friend, go here. If you want to pray by yourself, go here. If you want to go to a journaling prayer station, go here. And so kids might go up to the pray with a friend group and a kid goes down and the other friends come up and put their arms around them and pray over them. Um, they're having this really beautiful time of worship together. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not, silly it's it's the expectation is we're coming here to meet with jesus it can right. be upbeat but that's the mindset right this right. is a time of praise and worship and um maybe in the journal they're writing things writing prayers and, and i one ministry they would make it a dialogue and so the mm -hmm. children's pastor would read the journals during the week and write back mm -hmm. and so they could share things they otherwise wouldn't feel brave enough to share and so this is another way and there was many others as well that these created a, a sense of connection and community and these are things I not, would not have thought of. I would have thought, well, playing games is going to make kids want to come. It's going to make kids feel connected. Mm -hmm. It's going to make kids want to invite their friends. Um, you know, the kids who are the have the most energy, that's going to help them the most. And we do play games. <laughs> Again, this is not anti-game or anti-play. No, uh, every, no. every element has a strategic right, place. So right. We do not want to deprive kids. Like I would put this higher up, um, you know, than even teaching. It's just like we need space to be in God's presence and space mm -hmm. to worship as the body of believers. So that was something that was surprising to me because it was counterintuitive. I can see though how that, as after you, as you're explaining it, how that, circles back around into that relational need. Like if, if we want our ministry to be focused on relationship and building relationship with kids and then intentionally creating spaces to foster kids relationship with God and to um, provide them some structure and some framework of how to relate to God. And, and I loved what you're talking about with the different prayer stations and the different ways to pray. And so, so, you know, teaching kids and giving them different opportunities to you know, build their relationship with God while we also try to be intentional in building our relationship with kids. And so mm -hmm. I like that. That's awesome. So, well, thank you guys. Do you guys have any last things that you'd like to share? Anything that I haven't asked um, that you feel is particularly important or relevant for children's ministry leaders to hear? Well, we have this book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much. There's right, so much to right. know, so much to learn. Um, folks who are particularly interested in this topic, there's a lot of trauma-informed mm -hmm. resources. I, I think the book is helpful because it speaks specifically to the children's ministry context, and it's very approachable. Mm -hmm. um, so I really do recommend that if this is something that someone, it's on your heart, mm -hmm. if this is something that you you want to see, you want to grow in, please make that investment. Um, yeah. It's it's on Amazon, easy to find. Trauma-Informed Children's Ministry, A Practical Guide to Reaching Hurting Kids, very easy to find online. Um, and if you want to learn more about our workshop and other materials, um, our website is reachhurtingkids.com. So maybe put that in the notes, but- We sure um, can. Mm -hmm. notes, yeah, reachhurtingkids.com. If you go on there, there's a, a link that says workshop. And if you click on that, there's a lot of information. There's videos, you can- um, click a, a button to get a, a booklet that goes into detail about the research mm -hmm. and the testimonies and um, different organizations that sort of endorsed or promoted the work. So you can get a sense for a, a deeper sense for it. So yeah. definitely want to put out out there as, as a way to follow up and continue the conversation. And uh, we're always happy to, to talk to folks and encourage mm -hmm. folks and just, uh, just pray blessings over every, all the folks who are trying to reach the kids that are struggling. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for your time today and for doing this interview. We have loved it. And so 
We just encourage all of our listeners to um, subscribe, like um, our Kidman Doctor podcast. Um, and we love our listeners and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye, Thanks everybody. a lot. Bye, guys. Bye.